Well, hey there, my name is Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. So I once heard a story about a pregnant woman who was in a serious car accident while her husband was out of the country. The accident left her unconscious, and while she was unconscious, she went into labor. And so three days later, she woke up, and she realized that she was no longer pregnant. And so frantically, she began calling for the doctor, and the doctor came into the room, and she said, what happened to my baby? And the doctor said, well, actually, ma'am, you had twins, a boy and a girl. We tried to reach your husband, but we couldn't get a hold of him. And so your brother's been here with you since uh, the day of the accident. And we allowed him to go ahead and name your children. And she thought, no, not my brother. He's crazy and just not really bright. So she asked the doctor, well, what did he name the baby girl? The doctor said, Denise. She thought, oh, that's really not bad. I actually kind of like that name. Well, what did he name the boy? The nephew. I don't know about you, but I really like it when I hear my name called. In fact, science has showed us, research has showed us, that when we hear our name called, it actually releases endorphins that produce good feelings in your brain, as long as you're hearing your name called in a positive way. Now, if you heard your name called maybe when you were growing up by your mom or your dad, you know that tone they would use or they would say your first and your middle name doesn't release positive feelings. But most of the time, when you walk into the room or you walk into the church building here and someone calls you by name, it makes you feel valuable. It makes you feel important. That rather than saying, hey, fella, hey, lady, hi, buddy, nice to see you, when they actually use your name, it actually makes you feel really, really good. Names are important. I don't know about you. I struggle with remembering names. I try to write them down or use them several times so that I can remember them because I know it's important to me for people to use my name when they see me. Well, I I remember thinking a couple of years ago about the importance of a name. I thought, you know, why do I have my name? My name is Eric Jonathan, and, and I thought, why, do I, why did my parents pick out that name? Was there somebody really important that I was named after, maybe some really famous relative of mine, or just some really great story about how my parents came up with my name? So I called my mom one day, and I said, hey, mom, just curious, how did y'all come up with the name Eric Jonathan? She said, well, we really like those two names. We really like the name Jonathan. I said, well, why didn't y'all name me Jonathan Eric? She said, Well, we didn't think you were big enough to call you Jonathan. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like, did I ever grow into my name? If I would have been a pound or two more at birth, would I have been called Jonathan? If maybe I had grown to six foot or taller, would they have said, you know what, we think you've now outgrown Eric and we'll now refer to you as Jonathan? I'm not sure how I feel about that, but one thing we know is that names are important. Well, this morning we're going to look at a story, at a situation in the life of Jacob in Genesis 35. Now, 
We've been studying the life of Jacob for the last six weeks, and it's one, he is by far, aside from Jesus, my favorite character in the Bible, because I identify with Jacob a lot. He is a man who is full of a lot of dysfunction. And I don't know about you, but as I've studied the life of Jacob, I feel a little bit better about myself and about my situation and my story, that yes, I've got dysfunction, but it's Comparatively speaking, you know, I haven't married four women and had all these kids and lied and manipulated and done all this stuff, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And I look, and if God can use Jacob, God can use me, and he can use my dysfunction. Well, if you remember in the life of Jacob that he meets this woman named Rachel, and he immediately falls in love with her. In fact, it says that Jacob loved Rachel with all of his heart. He meets her and he wants nothing more than to marry her. So he goes to her father, Laban, and he says, I want to marry your daughter. And Laban said, okay, but you got to work seven years to marry her. He says, no problem. And he works seven years. And the sweetest verse in all the Bible is found in that section of scripture. It says, but they only seemed as a few days for Jacob, to which all the ladies said, aww. It's like a Hallmark movie in the making. And then... The manipulator, if you remember, gets manipulated. He gets deceived, and instead of it being Rachel, he actually marries Leah, and then he gets to marry Rachel, and he's got to work another seven years for her to actually marry her. And so he's worked 14 years to marry this woman, and he loves her with all of his heart. But there's a problem with Rachel. Rachel can't have children. She's barren. And she wants nothing more than to have a son. And years and years go by, nothing happened. And for Rachel, we can look at her life and we can see that sometimes life just doesn't go according to plan. That she's got all these plans that she's going to get married and they're going to have all these children and and they're going to live a happy life and it's just going to be the two of them plus their children and that's not the way that it works out. And it's filled with a lot more dysfunction and craziness that goes on. And it just reminds us of this, that for Jacob and Rachel, that their story sometimes teaches us that wherever we experience triumph, there is usually trouble that has followed it. You see this all over the place, that every sports team that has been successful at some point in the season, there was some moment where they experienced some kind of trouble that they had to overcome, something that's called adversity. You see it in the business world, that if you've experienced some kind of success in the business world, there was probably a moment where you wondered, are we going to make? it? Is this going to work? Are we going to be able to, to survive this moment? That if you're in school right now, or if you've graduated with a degree, then you know that wherever you experience triumph, there was trouble and struggle all along the way. And Jacob's life has been filled with trouble. It's been filled with struggle. In fact, so much so that you remember when he meets up with God that Alan preached on last week, that he wrestles with God And and the crazy thing is, that's not the first moment Jacob had been wrestling with God. He had been wrestling with God his entire life. And then on that night, he literally wrestles with God. And he won't let go. He will not quit because he wants to receive God's blessing. And in that moment, God renames him. He says, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel because you have struggled and you have prevailed. Where there is triumph, there is always trouble. That's exactly what their life of Jacob and Rachel teaches us. 
Well, let's pick up their story because at this point, Rachel, after she has that first son who we know as Joseph, when she gives birth to Joseph, she prays, God, please grant me another son. She had waited so long for Joseph to be born and she's filled with so much joy and she says, God, just just one more child please, that's all I want. And a period of years go by. Now Rachel is an older woman and she gets pregnant again. And can you imagine the joy that she must have experienced knowing that she's now going to give birth to another child? And let's pick up their story in Genesis chapter 35, verse 16. It says, then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some great distance from Ethrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. So they're traveling along. You could imagine that they've got a massive family and a bunch of people with them and they're traveling uh, to where they're headed. And all of a sudden, Rachel goes into labor. She realizes, "Uh uh-oh, we got a problem here. And they send word throughout this family unit and word gets to Jacob, we've got to stop because Rachel's going into labor. And so they make camp and they maybe put up a tent or something to create some kind of privacy. And it's Rachel and the, the midwife and maybe a couple of other of her female servants. And she's in the process of labor. And here's how we know the book of Genesis was written by a man. There's a lot of other evidence, but this is the one that we know. It says, she began to give birth and had great difficulty. What woman giving birth has not had great difficulty? In fact, what is it called when you give birth? It's called labor. That doesn't sound joyous. We don't call it vacation. We don't call it relaxation. We call it going into labor. And I just find that a humorous line because only a man could write that. And if Moses, Moses' wife, when he wrote it, probably smacked him. Of course she's in great difficulty. She's She's giving birth to a human being and you have no clue what that's like. And he's like, well, I passed a kidney stone once, right? Doesn't even count, does it? So she begins to have great difficulty. And then it goes on to tell us that as she's having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife says to her, don't be afraid for you have another son. This is not the first time this midwife has delivered a baby. That she realizes Rachel's blood pressure has gone up. Maybe her breathing and her heart rate has elevated. Maybe she's in some type of preeclampsia. They don't know what's wrong with her because they don't have the medical advancements that we have today. But this midwife recognizes Rachel is not in good shape. And if you could just imagine that maybe Jacob's outside of the tent or, you know, he's not in the room. Because remember back then, men weren't in the room. I made the mistake one time of saying to my wife, you know, I think it was kind of a good idea back then for men not to be in the room. Not a good idea to say to her. The bruise eventually went away, but she did not like that line. But Jacob's not in the room with her. He's outside. You can imagine someone comes to him and says, Jacob, Rachel's not doing good. We don't know what's wrong. Something's wrong with her. And she gives birth to to this child. The midwife says, You had a son. Let's celebrate. It's going to be okay. And the next verse says, with her dying breath. You see, Rachel knew. She had this feeling, something's wrong, and I'm not going to survive this. And the midwife knew, something's wrong. She's not going to live through this. With her last words, she said, let his name be Ben-Oni. You know, parents have a right to name their child whatever they want, don't they? In fact, 
There are some names that are really, really interesting. In fact, we're going to take a little test this morning. I want you to pronounce the name on the screen on the count of three. Okay, just say it out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. Oh, who said it? Johnny, know it. Johnny's already seen it. Noel. That is how you pronounce this name, at least according to the parent who named their child, because there is Noel. Some of you that just, whew, oh, yeah, now, oh, yeah, now I see. Okay, there we go. All right, so I remember when my children were born. Actually, it was a little while before our oldest child was born, Kinley, that it was around the time that either Haley and I were engaged or when we first got married. You know, you sit down if you've been married before you get married and you have those conversations. What do we want our life to look like? Where do we want to live? What do we want to do? How many children do we want to have? And we're having that conversation. And I remember that she told me, I really want to call our first child Kinley Elizabeth. She loved the name Kinley, and the name Elizabeth comes from her grandmother who passed away several years ago. So the name is significant to her. And I said, that sounds great, darling. It sounds like a great name. What are we going to name the child if it's a boy? She said, Kinley Elizabeth. There's no other option. Just kidding. Just thank goodness we had a girl. So that name had a lot of significance to her. Well, when we got pregnant uh, about two years later with our second child, she said, you know, I picked out the first name. Why don't you pick out the second name. She's probably a little nervous about what I would come up with. Well, I told her I really want her name, first or middle name, to be Grace. I love the name Grace because I love the idea of Grace. And I don't want her to ever forget about the grace of God, that when she thinks about her name, that she thinks about the grace of God. So then it was about what kind of name will go with Grace. And there's a lot of options out there. And I remember I was riding down the road one day, and I'm listening to the radio, listening to some classic rock, and all of a sudden the song by Derek and the Dominoes hits the radio, Layla, you got me on my knees, Layla. And I've always loved that song. I know Eric Clapton covered it, and you might like the Clapton version better. You can be wrong. That's okay. But it just, it really struck my heart, and I'm like, that's the name, Layla Grace. And I called Haley. I said, I've got the name for our daughter, Layla Grace. She said, that's it. Great choice. And that was her name. It's really fun to pick out the name of a child. Well, if my wife, heaven forbid, in that moment had delivered our child and we not, had not selected her name yet, and with her dying breath, she said, I want you to call her Layla Grace. Then I think I would have said, you know what, darling, whatever you want. You want her to be called Banana Grace? I'll call her Banana. We might just go by her middle name, but we'll call her that. I, I, will, I will accept your dying wish. But what's interesting is that's not what Jacob did. You see, the name Ben-Oni has a lot of significance. The word Ben means son of. The word Oni means sorrow or strength. Son of my sorrow or son of my strength. Now, I think based on the situation here, we can understand that as Rachel is saying, let his name be Ben Oni, she's saying, let him be the son of my sorrow. That this child is bringing her a lot of sorrow. She knows she's not going to survive this. She knows that she's never going to watch this child grow up. She's never going to see him crawl. She's never going to see him walk. She's not going to be there when he falls down and scrapes his knee and she gathers him up and bandages his bobos and she tells him it's okay. She's not going to be able to rock him to sleep when he's sick. She's not going to be able to watch him go off to school for the first time. She's never going to see him graduate from high school. She's not going to see him get married. She's never going to witness him holding his child for the first time in her heart is filled with sorrow because she knows of all the things she's going to miss out on. And what's interesting is this idea of sorrow and strength that this word could go either way. 
that sometimes we think, man, that's really weird that that word can mean both of those things. When you think about it, sorrow and strength are really closely connected, that wherever you find great sorrow, a lot of times you find great strength, that some of the people who have been the most successful in life endured the craziest circumstances, lost parents at an early age, dealt with tremendous hardship. In fact, it would say of Jesus in Isaiah 53 that he was a man of great sorrows. And I think we can all agree that Jesus went on to accomplish very great things. Well, in James chapter 1, I think James might be speaking to this idea of sorrow and strength when he said, consider it all joy, pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy. When you go through really difficult circumstances, why, James? Because you know that this testing of your faith, that this difficulty, that this sorrow that's being produced in your heart is going to produce perseverance. Perseverance is that never quit attitude, that when things get really difficult, you keep going. That requires strength. Sometimes great sorrow produces great strength. And Rachel, with her dying wish says, let him be called the son of my sorrow. So let's just imagine for a moment that the midwife comes out and she's holding this baby. And she comes out of the tent and there stands Jacob waiting to hear the news. And he can obviously see the child, that the child's okay. And maybe he says, how's Rachel? She didn't make it, I'm sorry. But with her dying breath, She said, let him be called Benoni. The Bible says something really interesting in the next verse. It says, but Jacob called him Benjamin, Ben-Jamin. You see, in this culture, the father had the right to name the child. The mother could give a suggestion, but the father ultimately had the final say on what the child's name was going to be. This name Ben-Jamin is really interesting. Ben, if you remember, is son of. Jamin is my right hand, the right hand. He is literally calling him the son of my right hand. That's kind of an odd term, unless you remember the significance of the right hand. If you backtrack in your mind the story of Jacob, one of the first uh, lessons in this series that Jacob dresses up as Esau, his older brother, while Esau is out hunting, that Jacob's mother, Rebekah, prepares uh, an animal for, they cook it up and they take it to Isaac who's blind and about to die and he's trying to steal the blessing from Esau and he goes to Jacob and he says, who is it? And he says, I'm Esau, your oldest son. You don't sound like Esau. But you feel really hairy. You must be Esau. And then Jake, then Isaac takes his right hand and he places it on Jacob and he gives him the blessing. The blessing that Jacob would lead the family forward from then on out. That Jacob would be the one who would receive the greater portion of the inheritance. That Jacob would be the one through whom God would pass down the blessing and the birthright ultimately that Jesus would enter the world through. And Jacob, later in his life, is going to lay on his deathbed, and all 12 of his sons are going to come into his room, and he's going to take his right hand, and he's going to place it on each of his children, and he's going to individually give them a blessing as well. The right hand was considered the hand of blessing. And when they said, Jacob, she wants him to be called son of my sorrow, he says, I will not call her son, I will not call him son of my sorrow, I will call him son of my right hand, the son of my blessing. 
You see, Jacob was filled with sorrow. It's not that he wasn't filled with grief over losing his life. It's that he looked at this situation, and instead of just calling it a sorrow and a struggle, that he called it a blessing. Others would look at that and say, Jacob, you are cursed. Your wife died. You must have done something wrong. And Jacob looks at it and says, no, I've received a blessing from God. This child is a blessing. And that child would help him grieve. That child would help him get through this difficult time. And as I read through that, I just think about my life, and I I hope you'll think about your life, that we're all going through difficult situations. Maybe it's relationship issues or marriage troubles or financial situations, or maybe there's problems at work or problems with kids or problems with parents, or maybe there's trouble at school, troubles with friends. Maybe your heart's been broken. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And what Jacob's life is telling us when he looks at this child and he gives this child a different name is that we are given the opportunity to rename our situation, that we can call our difficulty whatever we want, that you can look at failure and call it an opportunity, that you can look at loss and find the blessing in it, that you can look at struggle and see that it is leading you to a greater strength. You get to call it what you want. And I think this is so phenomenal for us and so Uh, hopeful for us entering into this Thanksgiving season, because I know for some of you, this is going to be a Thanksgiving that's going to be filled with a lot of grief. Because this Thanksgiving, there's going to be an empty seat at your table for the first time. And it was a seat that was filled by a very important person, a very influential person, a, a person that you love dearly. And this is going to be one of the first times, second times, third times, that chair's going to be empty. Your heart's going to be filled with sorrow. But it doesn't mean it cannot be filled with thanksgiving. That we can thank God for the memories and the good times and all the blessings that He's given to us and the way that He has so adequately led us through that moment and that situation that He's been faithfully with us. Maybe this is the first thanksgiving since the divorce or the separation. It's going to be filled with a lot of pain, a lot of uncomfortableness, a lot of difficulty. Maybe it's going to be the first Thanksgiving where you're having to spend at multiple locations. There's a lot of pain and hurt from it. But God's also with you. And that's reason alone to give thanks. You can call this Thanksgiving whatever you want. Or maybe this Thanksgiving is going to be filled with a lot of tension, a lot of drama, a lot of issues. Something you're not really looking forward to. You know, somebody's going to say something that you disagree with. That you're going to have to have an awkward conversation. That there's hurt feelings. That there's a lot of pain. That this could be the one that is filled with forgiveness. Call it what you want. Maybe this is the first Thanksgiving since you got laid off. You don't even know how you're going to make Thanksgiving work. Call it what you want. It's an opportunity. This is the blessing from God that we can rename our situation, that we can call it sorrow and struggle, we can call it strength and opportunity and blessing. Verse 21 of Genesis 35 says something interesting. Starting in verse 19, it says, So Rachel died and was buried on her way, on the way to Ephrath, that is, in Bethlehem. And over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar. And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Not to this day, but the day it was written. Verse 21. Israel 
moved on again. And he pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. I find it really interesting in this verse that in two sentences back to back, Moses says, Jacob set up a pillar and then Israel moved on. Why didn't he just say Jacob set up a pillar and then Jacob moved on? Why didn't he say Israel set up a pillar and Israel moved on? Why does he use the name Jacob and then the name Israel? It's not because he forgot that Jacob's name was changed. I believe that there's significance here. Then when it says Israel moved on, it's because in that moment he overcame his struggle. Now don't hear that and think that Jacob forgot about it or Jacob lost the pain or Jacob was no longer affected by it. It means that he decided that life must continue. That if you have stared into the face of grief, that you know exactly what that means. That sometimes you feel like life will never continue. How can life go on? But the sun is coming up tomorrow. A new day is coming filled with blessing and hope. And a new normal. Not the way it was, but the way it's going to be. And our outlook on that situation will determine it all. Yes, your heart is filled with grief. Yes, your heart is filled with pain. But it it can also be filled with hope and blessing. And I love that line, Israel moved on. Didn't mean he forgot about it. It didn't mean he forgot, he got over it. It just means he kept going. That I believe the reason it says Israel moved on is because in that moment, his great sorrow produced strength. He got up and he said, I got to keep going. He looked at the situation. He saw the blessing in it. He allowed God to heal his pain and to work in his pain. And he kept going. So this morning, is there something you're holding on to? Is there some great sorrow or great struggle that you're holding on into your heart that you're struggling to move on from? This morning was a beautiful opportunity to take whatever that is, sorrow, struggle, difficulty, circumstance, and to lay it at the feet of Jesus. And to say, God, I can't keep holding this. I need to move on. And I don't know how other than to leave it to you. And that, That, folks, is the first step to moving on. And if we can pray with you and encourage you this morning and walk with you through that circumstance as God is walking with you, we would love to do that. This morning, if you want to put Christ on in baptism to allow your name to be changed to Christian, to save child of God, to be added to the family of faith, redeemed from your sin, then we'd love to assist you in that as well. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing this song?